Welcome to the AF Mentors podcast. This is for coaches who care about impact and are ready to be pushed outside their comfort zone and into growth. You can find out more about AF Mentors at afmentors.com. Recording for the podcast. I have the questions up. They are fantastic. I'm very excited to answer these today especially James's only because I get to talk about my grandpa for the answer and I think I think it's going to be a great answer okay I'm going to start with the start which is Lucy do you have any tips for procrastination I am awful with my phone and social media I'm doing something and before I even realized I've picked up my phone I'm on Instagram and completely distracted from what I'm doing it's infuriating okay I think we can all probably relate to this unfortunately as much as we shouldn't be doing that um and I think the answer is just be strict with yourself the best thing and this is quite a simple concept or idea but the best thing that I have found for procrastination and getting stuff done is one to get in the right environment so for me it's a coffee shop like I'll always go to doesn't really matter if it's the same one but go sit down put your I don't even actually turn my phone off or put it on airplane mode I just put it face down And then I get to work and you can set yourself a timer if you want, but sitting there and being in that environment, I think environment is really important as well. It's so easy to get distracted, but if it, if you've already noted, I mean, you're in a good position where you're like, I'm awful with my phone and going on social media. That's a pretty quick fix situation. And I would say that one thing that also really helps is as much as like social media is part of our job as online coaches but you don't need to be there immediately. So chunk out bits of time, like, okay, I'm going to get up, do my emails or whatever you do in the morning. And then I'm going to spend half an hour checking social media. And then I'm going to turn it off. And then I'm going to post it, I don't know, lunchtime, whatever. I'm going to reply to some comments and then I'm going to turn it off. Like do it in blocks. And if you don't do it in blocks, you will find that you are constantly checking things and constantly on your phone and it becomes really overwhelming. Whereas when you do it in blocks, it's actually quite enjoyable quite an enjoyable experience I find so that's what I would do I would I would make sure that you're not constantly on constantly getting notifications just block out periods of time where you're like instead of replying to one message every hour I'm going to reply to 10 messages in the afternoon instead there's much better way to do it and once you start being strict with yourself you will realize that you get far more done when you do that um The other thing is to figure out why you're procrastinating and what you're avoiding doing is quite a good one. So I'm I am also quite bad for procrastinating. In some ways, I'm quite lucky that when I'm procrastinating for one thing, I'll probably work on another thing as my procrastination. So it's quite productive procrastination, but still is procrastination. So I had to do the menopause talk for EIQ this week. And I procrastinated around it so much because I wanted it to be really good. And I kept changing my mind about what should or shouldn't be in there. So anyway, that meant that I procrastinated so much that then I actually built the um, sales page and website bit for the EC Method merchandise while I was procrastinating for doing the EIQ stuff. So if you can procrastinate by doing something else, sometimes it's not the worst thing in the world. But yeah, I think noting down like what it is you're procrastinating and why you are because a lot of people procrastinate because 
like a fear of failure or they don't really want to get started or they're scared about what other people think if they do x y or z or often it's perfectionism often and I've noticed this especially this week myself because I'm like no I need to redo that lecture it wasn't like I don't think it was as good as it possibly could have been I'm like it and then I need to accept it's never going to be as good as what I really really want it to be it needs to be good enough and and you need to accept that it's never going to be exactly perfect and with most things especially online now especially with coaching get started get feedback and improve it there was such a good infographic that I shared this week and it was like a pretty rough circle it was talking about perfectionism and it was like a rough circle and then a little bit of a smoother circle and then the perfect circle and it was like the only way you can get to this perfect circle the only way you can get to perfectionism is if you start with a rough one like the only way you can become a great coach is if you start as a good coach now if you procrastinate starting because you always think I'm not good enough to start yet, or I'll wait until I'm the perfect coach before I take on my first client. You'll never be the perfect coach because the only way that you can get to being a really excellent coach is to work with loads of people. You can do all the courses you want in the world, but if you don't have practical experience, you're never going to be a great coach. You'll be very good. You'll be very book smart, but you won't be a great coach because you can't replicate working with people. So you need to get started. So stop procrastinating and stop scrolling on social media. Okay, Laura, is there a quote-unquote best day to have client check-ins? I've tried Mondays and I've tried Fridays, and both seem to come with a bit of stigma. Oh, stigma. Honestly, at some point, you'll have to figure out what's the best day for you, and at some point, if you're pretty full, you'll probably have to be like, your check-in day is Monday, your check-in day is Friday because I'm going to have to split these otherwise you'll be completely overwhelmed so I wouldn't get too bogged down in the exact day I used to always have mine on a Sunday again forward thinking was not great like I I guess I didn't expect to have that many clients but I would always have my check-ins on a Sunday because in my head that's when I would want to check in I'd be like I'm going to sit down on a Sunday evening I'm going to review what I've done over the week and then I'm going to make a plan for next week or I'd have them check in on, at the moment, they check in on the Friday with one-to-ones. And then I normally feedback to them on the Saturday so that they're ready to get going again. But if you want to have a weekend, that's obviously not going to work. So you've got to play it between what's best for the client and what's best for you. And to be honest, it probably shouldn't matter that much for the client as much as in my head, it would be nice to have like the feedback so that you can get going again on the Monday like it really doesn't matter a week is a week and as long as you've got time I would rather have a check-in from a from a coach on a Wednesday even though I would probably prefer to have it on a Monday I'd rather have a really good check-in where I've got their time and attention compared to they've done 50 other check-ins on the Monday and I can tell so you've got to manage your own time as well but I don't think there's like a right or wrong to what check-in day people are on and I think being quite clear with your boundaries, like just tell people like this is when you check in. You will tell me about the week that has preceded this date. And that is when you check in. Make it work around you. That's the most important thing. <clears throat> Lena, I've got a lot of questions on my apply for coaching form. You mentioned only asking five questions. Have you got any advice on what five questions to ask? Okay, so to give context to this, the reason I say on an application form, like an apply for coaching form to only have a few questions is because 
if you put yourself in the shoes of a potential client and they're probably, you know, 8 p.m. at night scrolling through social media, they're like, she looks like a great coach. I've always kind of been interested in coaching. Oh, I can apply to work. With oh, just, oh, like, I'll have a little peek. And then there's like 20 questions there. They either think, oh, I'm not doing this at all. Or they think, I'll do that tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes. Ronan Keaton, thank you. Um, <laughs> and it's just too much. Like, it's too much friction. It's too big a barrier. Whereas if there's like a couple of questions, that's great. And all you're trying to do with an application form is get into conversations. You're not actually trying to get all of the background information. They only have to mention a couple of things. So, it, I mean, it will be, what's your name? What's your email address? Like, essentially, in some worded way, why are you contacting me? Like, what are your current goals? I think I ask, it's been a long time since I wrote this, but something along the lines of those three things and then um, brief diet and exercise history. Are you interested? And then it's a tick box in commit to six online, uh, one-to-one or not sure yet. And I'd like to discuss. And where did you hear about me? Because that's just good data for me to have. Those are the things. It should take someone five minutes maximum to fill that in. And that's not me getting all the information I need to know about that client. That's me simply getting into a conversation with them. So then I can reply saying, hey, Lena, you said your goal is fat loss at the moment and you've previously tried Slimming World and blah, 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 blah. This is what I think will work well for you. Or whatever. It's, it's enough information to get into a conversation, but it's not so much that it's um, friction for them. And to be honest, you don't need to read their life story or their dieting, their full dieting history, which could be pages and pages long before they've paid you. Like you will waste a lot of time doing that. So really you need to be able to say, okay, like I can get into a conversation with this person. And there also might be some red flags. If they're like, I've struggled with binge eating, then you might be like, okay, let, let's discuss that a little bit so I can see if it's binge eating disorder and I need to encourage you to go and speak to your doctor. Or if it's I've over restricted and sometimes I overindulge, in which case I can absolutely help you with that kind of all or nothing mentality. So a part of it is like you making sure you're a good, or you making sure they're a good fit for your coaching but really it's like an initial touch point where you want to try and get into conversations as opposed to anything else. Um, James, when building content slash courses that build on tasks, ideas, journal prompts and journal prompts that you've read somewhere else, how do you go about crediting this? I have read so many books in the past two years and have that have contained a stupid amount of worksheets, ideas, amazing prompts, that have helped me in coaching conversations and I want to be able to have written versions of these for clients to use independently. Would an intro line of adapted from Dr. K. Neff, Fierce Compassion 2017, do the job? Yeah, so a couple of things I have to say on this. One, I really like that you're crediting them. I think that that's, that is important. The second thing that I would say is that you're expanding on this and you're taking it out of that context into a different context. So say, for example, something that I use quite a lot is puck yes or no, right? Which is completely stolen from a Mark Manson um, article called fuck yes or no, which is about dieting, sorry, which is about dating. And I've taken it out of that context and put it into a dieting context. So I still mention like, this is where I got it from and it's a great article. 
but it's put in a different context. And the reason I was going to speak about my grandpa here is because my grandpa was a playwright and, and, uh, and he wrote many books. I think he's written over 10 books. Anyway, he's, he was an incredible writer. And I remember him once saying, and then I had a huge discussion with mum about this, but he once said, I don't think I've ever had a thought in my life, not a novel one anyway. And for someone who's a writer to say that, like I've written all these books, which aren't completely plagiarized, but I've never had a novel thought in my life. What he meant is that you are constantly inspired by others. You are constantly reading things or speaking to people or learning from others and then adapting it, adding your own spin on it and then applying it. It would be like me saying, you know, anyone who's done commit to six before and is using the same model should like credit me. Like, no, they shouldn't. They're, they're basic models. And a lot of this stuff, like, you might have seen it in that book, but that author probably saw it in another book. Like, it, what's the saying, like standing on the shoulders of giants or something? Like, it's absolutely fine to be inspired by and take ideas from others. It's not fine to just like um, imitate them. So like inspiration, not imitation and credit where credit's due. But I do think that some people are probably too far on along the line of like I'm just not going to credit this person and other people are too far along the line of like I have to credit every single thing when actually you've changed it a significant amount that it's yours now like that this concept is you know not completely novel I'm sorry not yeah not completely novel but like what is anyway the whole point is that you're taking someone else's idea and maybe someone else's idea again like putting two together and adding your own spin and your own experience to it. And that's what you've created. This is now your thing. And you can sure, like for sure say inspired by it. Or you might wanna say like, here's, I don't know, here's this worksheet that I've done. By the way, this was inspired by Kirsten Neff's work. Kirsten or Kristen? Anyway, um, if you want to read more about compassion, here's the book like if you wanted to do something like that but I think I'll often talk about things like this that I've read out with um the I guess like the nutrition world or the fitness world or the dieting world and I'll say that like I've taken this concept and put it into an applicable form for fat loss for example and you can credit the person but it's still like it's I think you should take some credit yourself for adapting that and putting it into a different context and the best ideas are actually usually someone else's ideas plonked with a bit of yours put into a context that's specific for your clients that's normally the most useful ideas that that you come across but great question okay Alicia hi I'm currently advertising for my next coaching intake in July and just had a new sign up which I'm mega chuffed about coaching won't start until the 11th though how do you keep someone engaged for two weeks? To add, it's one-to-one -one coaching, but I offer intakes as it helps me manage time alongside work. And Alexandra's just said, great question. Yeah, so there's two ways that you can do this. Number one, be quite brutal with it and be like, great, I'm so excited to have you. Here's the start date. Or like number two, some, something to do with EIQ a lot of the time is here's, like, here's our recommended reading list. So you could get these books and have a little read of them. Number three, something that I do with Commit to Six is I might send them to like the Mindset Reset series, which is like three or four podcasts that like takes them through a bit of a 
a bit of how I want them to approach dieting. So they've got something to do. But realistically, a lot of people probably have already done that which is fine because you're not actually coaching them until the 11th. And I know you just want to give, give, give value. And at the moment, that's probably fine. But for example, it was something that we thought about with the EC method. Like, could we give people access to a little bit of it as soon as they sign up? And maybe then people would sign up quicker. But you end up starting to coach before the the start date, which just means that you know, if you're running back-to-back programs as well, like you don't have time and it kind of negates the point of having an intake because you're like, all oh, right, well, as soon as someone signs up, they're immediately getting access to X, Y, and Z. And then they're immediately asking me questions about X, Y, and Z, which means it's taking up just as much as my time. I may as well have just started coaching them. So there are a few options. I mean, I would probably do something like read this book. I think it'll be really helpful to you or listen, like here's the backlog of my of my podcast go and have a listen or even you could do something like a bit of an intro pack that has a look like here's a couple of things you could do to get started now like start implementing this morning routine or go and order this journal or you know whatever it is like things to get going you could have in a little welcome pack but I would be aware that whatever you give them will probably result in more questions which means you just want to be sure that if you've, this is probably especially as you move on and you're having like bigger intakes, that you're not um, coaching from the day that they sign up because it just get it just not very useful for time management. Okay. Richard, I'm currently on the last week of my first group coaching program. I'm planning to contact all the new guys to offer them monthly membership. I'm in two minds about whether to run another one starting. Oh, sorry, I'm only laughing because I think I might sneeze. I think I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. Okay, I'm okay. I'm planning to contact all the new guys to offer them monthly membership. I'm in two minds whether to run another one starting next week as I'm in Turkey for 11 days from Monday. I plan to take my laptop and the majority of the things I was doing will continue anyway. The home workout part that I provide is four live sessions via Zoom. Should I pre-record them and just go for it? This is a good question. Honestly, if the interest's there and you think you can do that while also having a holiday and relaxing a bit, and it's not gonna add to your stress and work like holiday mode, then yeah, absolutely do it. Why not? Would be great. But and this is why it's so different for everyone. I, th- I did a post about this this week about work-life balance and work-life harmony and how you can easily look at other people and be like, well, they don't have any work-life balance, but it's so different. Like my work-life balance will be so different to yours, Richard, because I don't have a family. I don't have a wife. I don't have a kid. So I have a huge luxury in many ways to be able to have, to, to work slightly more because I'm choosing to, because I want to do that. And throughout your life, that work-life balance will change. And for some people going on holiday and then still like maintaining the group coaching program they've got going on isn't stressful at all. And they're like, yeah, I love doing it. And it takes me two hours and I get up in the morning and I do it. And then I get on with my day holiday. Like there's no stress there. Or other people will be like, this has completely ruined my holiday and I don't feel like I'm present with my family. It is down to you to decide how one part of that is how you're interpreting it like e- the the practicalities could be exactly the same but your interpretation of it could be completely different 
and two like you need to figure that out for yourself so is that something that I want to put on hold for 12 days and do it when I come back or is that something that actually I just want to keep going with now absolutely up to you so I'm going to leave that that open to you okay Catherine I'm a little bit concerned about this question because I didn't say that you could <laughs> no, I'm um how to approach letting one-to-one clients know that I'll be taking a week off this is this is wild Catherine's taking a week off I'm away for a week at the end of July and I want to totally switch off I haven't done that since I started online coaching last January so clearly I'm great at taking my own advice yeah agree okay my one-to-one clients do a written check-in with me Wednesday and I get a written feedback to them over the Wednesday slash Thursday my plan is to ask them to do their check-in as a self-assessment that week how do you think it's best to go about telling them and how much notice it is good to give to be honest I think my one-to-ones would be delighted I'm taking some time off but I I want to uh, relay it to them in a way that they that they don't feel like they are missing out on value and feel supported during that week too thank you I'm just writing a note here to remind myself to tell my one-to-ones that I'm going away this weekend as well and I think because it's such a rarity like I mean I will feed back on this but I'm going to say to my one-to-ones like you can check in and I'll get back to you um midweek as opposed to on the weekend like I normally do um but I'm I'm gonna say that I'm at wedding this weekend and a lot of them just don't they're like do you know what have an amazing time at the wedding if I need you I'll message you but I'm not going to do my check-in this week and I'm quite happy either way so yeah I think what you're saying is is good right I'm going away on holiday I don't think you need to give them huge warning I just think maybe the week before be like I'm away next week I'm going to wherever you're going and I won't be doing the check-in but do it like you're going to have this self-assessment form instead and if you need me like reach out on the Monday when I get back or whatever day I'm back um the other thing that you can say because you have the luxury of this is just email Emma if there's anything that you need like if if you're struggling with anything like please reach out I'm sure you'll be absolutely fine for a week on your own I'm sure every single one of them will be but it so much of and this comes back to like attachment types I guess but the secure attachment type is like knowing that you can only be secure if you know someone is unconditionally there and then you don't really need them because you know that they're there right the whole study about like the baby in the room and when the baby's alone in the room it doesn't play with the toys but when the baby's in the room with its mum it plays with the toys because it feels secure it's like I'm, I feel secure enough and safe enough in the presence of my mother that I can go and play but when my mum's not there like I'm just I'm not going to play because I don't feel safe and secure I am the no too far but in this situation it's like knowing that someone is there me a coach someone is there means that they probably won't need anyone there whereas if no one's there sometimes you do think oh god like I need someone here I hope that makes some sort of sense okay Abby a number of questions about small group PT in person I'm planning to start doing it to save time but one pricing should this sit where should this sit in compared to my one-to-one and one-to-one in-person packages? Let's say I'm offering up to three sessions a week they could attend, for example. Um, I think in comparison to one-to-one, I would more look at like what, if you're, it depends how big the group is, right? But I would more look at like, what do I want my hourly rate to be for this to be worth it? 
and then how's that going to look so say you had four people and they all pay 25 quid great you're making 100 pounds an hour perfect but or are you gonna scale that if not as many people turn up or how are you going to book those things in and it probably depends largely on like the size of the group as well like if you've got 10 people coming in and they're all paying a tenner again great 100 pounds an hour I don't know what the exact numbers would would be there for you in this circumstance so it would be less than one-to-one for sure but figuring out exactly how much less is another question and I would make sure that you're making considerably more per hour than your one-to-one workouts and two to anyone who already does small group personal training do you include workout programs for the members to do in their own time as well like you would with one-to-one or is it just the in-person sessions and that's it and if you do are these programs personalized to each person or general ones rolled out to the whole group I would, I mean, just as an overview, like, again, you could do either, right? There's no right or wrong, but if it's group training, I wouldn't be writing every individual person a personalized workout. And also in this setting of like small group personal training in person, I would just have like, this is the hour that you're paying for, nothing outside of that. And if they want something outside of that, great. That's your online group coaching program. And the addition to that, if they do live near you and they can come to the small group personal training, is the small group personal training. Like they're two distinct products. I would keep those separately. Um, but if you, if also, if you can come to the mastermind, we can go back and forward on this on Thursday. And you've just said here, probably a group of six people. Fine. Price it as like, okay, what do, what do I want my hourly rate to be here? Break that down and price it like that. If you know you've got five people coming, then 20, 20 pounds per person or something. Or even then that, that means if you don't have six people, great. Like if you have six, cool, you're making a bit more. Something like 20 pounds a head or something would, would probably work really well. Um, Clara or Biggie, how to recession proof my business. I actually just did a podcast on this, which is essentially about forward thinking and not waiting for it to happen and not making it become a self-fulfilling prophecy as well. Like it's very hard to sell from a scarcity mindset if you're like oh everyone's going to leave my whole business is breaking and blah, blah 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 and you've got this like fear not only does like your content get poorer the way you show up become worse but people can kind of like smell it you're not as confident in your messaging so I would just be aware of that as well like don't come at this from a scarcity mindset and a lot of the shit that you worry about more generally in life never happens like you can you can worry all you want but like 99% of the stuff you worry about doesn't ever materialize and you waste a shitload of brain energy worrying about it so call yourself out on that as well and I think the like the answer to like recession proofing your business is to make it freaking awesome and to make your clients feel like they're a valued and be like they're getting value which means just everything that you're doing already and thinking like outside the box what can I do that's different how can I make it so people do want to come to me and do want to stay with me? Same as any time, like making your business successful, but making sure you're thinking ahead and you're not like, I'm going to wait until everything fucks up to then change my business. No, like with online coaching, you always have to be ahead of the curve. Like what people were doing last year is irrelevant now. Like it is always changing. You always have to be thinking, how can I better my product? How can I better my service? How can I 
serve my clients better? How can I better myself so that I am a better coach? Like that always needs to be at the forefront of your mind in a recession or not in a recession. Like if you want business to grow, that's where your head needs to be. And also go and listen to the podcast. Okay. I know you spoke before around keeping the barriers to sign up low and maybe people don't want to hop on a call. How do you convey, oh no. I thought I was going to sneeze again. I'm not, that's okay. Okay. How do you convey value and have proper chats over messages slash email? I usually don't give my one-to-one price until I'm on a call so I can convey value. So feeling a little stuck around this. So again, I actually had some feedback this week about the podcast and how I often don't give like direct answers to stuff, even if they are clients. I'm like, here's a, here's one theory, here's another theory. And depending on like what's most important to you, this might be good or this might be good. And they were like, it, it would be better if you gave a direct answer. And to be honest, like I always take on feedback, right? But I'm not going to use that feedback because I'm not here to dictate to you exactly what suit. This was in a coaching perspective, not a business mentoring perspective. But the same is true. Like you absolutely can jump on calls. And if people like the issue is if that's a barrier to people and you're like, they, they don't want to come on a call with you, then you need to figure out another way of conveying value without jumping on that call. If you're someone who's selling like quote unquote high ticket, this is essentially how all of them work. They get very good at sales calls and then they pay VAs to pressure people to get onto sales calls with you. And then once they're on the sales call, like you're conveying the value slash you're not that you're doing this, Laura, because you're on AFM, but like most of them are like pushing people's pain points, telling them that if they don't invest in their health, that they're fat and lazy and they don't care about themselves and blah, 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 blah. Horrible sales techniques. Not that they're all like that, but that happens quite a lot. Anyway, um, I guess back back to your point, unless you're selling like a very expensive product, you probably don't, quote, quote, need to jump on a call with someone. And the way that you convey value outside of that is everything that you're doing outside of that. So by the time someone applies to work with you, the likelihood is they've been on your website. So that needs to look good. They've watched your social media, so that needs to convey value, not just shitty reels that go viral, but actually give no value to people. They've maybe had a conversation with you. They've maybe listened to a podcast. Like, go and have an overview, look at your business and be like, where where is the value here? Because if someone comes to me and they've already listened to 100 episodes of the podcast, they already know me and they already know what value they're going to get. So I don't need to jump on a call before they sign up which saves me a shit ton of time that I can then put back into the podcast because that's essentially where the sales calls are. And they're not direct sales calls, but that's where the value is. That's where the value give is. The other thing that you can do that is slightly more direct is the podcast about what you do. Like everyone should have this. If you have a podcast, it's this is me. This is what I do. These are my values. This is why it's important to me. These are the people I help. These are the kind of results I get. This is my method. This is why it's different. And this is why you should work with me. Essentially, a lot of what you would say in a sales call, but packaged up in a podcast. Because then when someone's like, hey, I'm interested in one-to-one, but I'm not really sure what I get. You're like, no problem. Like, here's an outline on the website. If you have any questions, let me know. And by the way, I did this full podcast that walks you through what happens when you sign up and a little bit about me and why I do what I do. 
that's like that's your regurgitated sales call I did I can't remember if I mentioned this here or already on the podcast but the commit to six podcast that I did for commit to six has probably made me way over a hundred thousand pounds because that's what people listen to before they sign up like it is like a sales call so make sure that you're like if you do that well and you do that once that could be absolutely gold for you it's like having a good landing page but it's even more because you're not just like reading some text you're actually listening to the person and you're listening to why coaching is important to them why they do what they do how they can help you and almost like in a more curated way than you can think off the cuff on a sales call because like as much as you would always be showing up at your best sometimes you're not totally showing up at your best or you mix your words a little bit or you forget one aspect of what you were going to say on this podcast you can really think about what is it that I do uniquely with my experience and my background and and like how I want to approach coaching that I want to get across in this podcast to people who are about to sign up with me that's what that podcast needs to be about okay um Alicia you keep giving me a fright when you say oh no like something really bad is happening look sneezing is quite traumatic for me and I'm not even joking about this I have like a little bit of a fear of sneezing because after I got my back surgery for well for a long time I just forced myself not to sneeze because you would be surprised how many muscles like contract when you sneeze including your back and I was so scared that it would like undo my surgery and then now what I'm actually that's a bit of an exaggeration I was going to say the only time I get back pain like I do still get back pain but the worst like acute periods of back pain for me is when I sneeze like it's the only time I still get like sharp like shooting pain so sorry everyone if I'm like oh my god something awful is about to happen I think I might sneeze that's the back story as to why it's very traumatic for me anyway I will see everyone on Thursday I really enjoyed these questions I hope they were useful and have lovely productive days